Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message today is Not Them Again. Not Them Again. And I want to just begin with a question that you're going to be tempted to lie about. Um, But I want to ask you if you have ever worked with someone that made you dread what you did. Now, if they're here, don't point to them. Okay, don't make it weird. This is like the one day you brought a coworker and they're like, is this what you brought me to confront me? You can just tell me yourself that you don't like me. You got to have your pastor do it. And yes, okay, Tim, they don't like it. No, I'm just kidding. That would be horrible if somebody did that. It was just a big ruse. But I wonder if you have ever like found yourself in this space. It's like every time you look at the schedule and you see that their name is on it and it's near your name, you're just like, ah, like your heart sinks. Uh, you're bummed about it. Um, you know, when they walk in and clock in, the whole mood shifts in the environment. They have this presence, but it's not great. Like it's sort of a ways down the whole environment. Uh, it's almost like everything is a little less enjoyable and a little less effective, uh, you know, when they're around. The shifts seem so much longer than they are. Uh, the projects take forever. Um, and I'm sure you can think of somebody that fits that description right now, right? Like take JR, for instance. This guy, no, I'm just kidding. That would be horrible. That's only funny because the opposite is true of him. He's an incredible person to work with. But most of us have had this experience at some point in our life. And what is it that makes these people, um, what is it that they do that makes them so frustrating to work with? That makes them fall into this category. And I think there's a whole menu of things that they probably do, some or all of them, right? They're late. They're not prepared. They, they seem like they don't want to be there and they make it known. They, they don't pull their own weight. They only do the bare minimum. They're like, I did it. And you're like, I mean, technically, but not really. They never offer to help other people. They, when they take on a project, you never really are sure if they're actually going to follow through and finish it or if they're going to fumble it or forget about it. They do things the wrong way or halfway, which means everybody else has to go back behind them and sort of clean up after them. They're not encouraging. They're cold and condescending. Nobody can ever challenge them. The only ideas they like are the ones that are theirs. It's almost like, too, like they, they are almost secretly or maybe even not so secretly rooting for you to fail so that they look good by comparison when held up next to you. And I I see a lot of you uh, deep in thought right now because you're thinking of a specific person or group of people and you're getting very angry. And and yet I want to take this a step further. I, I know you know this person or some people who have been like this where you've worked, but I wonder if you have ever been this person. I wonder if you're really honest with yourself, if you've ever been the one at work that no one wanted to work with. Now, obviously, you know, our impulse is to be like, no, of course not, because we don't want to think that that could be true of us. But if that's not true of anyone, then clearly some of us are wrong, right? And I wonder, like, what if this was you? What if you were the one that at work that nobody wants to work with, but you just aren't aware of it? 
Like you're sort of obliviously going on about your day, your week, and you think things are fine, and what you don't realize is that everyone is avoiding you because they don't want to work with you. In my early 20s, I remember this job I had, um, like it was between, like in the summers between school, and there were things I just didn't really like about the job that I thought were like annoying or frustrating. And um, I don't know if you remember being in your early 20s, but just like they had all these ridiculous rules, like you have to go there and work to get paid. It was just like really crazy stuff, you know what I mean? Um, just normal stuff. It was really cutting into like just my hanging around doing nothing time. And I remember one day nudging one of my coworkers and just being like, I do not want to be here. And I said it because I was expecting like a little camaraderie. You know when you like gripe about work at work to a coworker and what you're looking for is for them to be like, right? Oh my gosh, can't wait to get out of here. But she did not say that. When I said, I don't want to be here, she said, yeah, we can all tell. And I was like, oh, and it kind of caught me off guard. And I was like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? And she's like, well, the way you carry yourself makes it real clear to all the rest of us that work here that you think you're above this. That you think that you're meant for something more and better. That you think you've lowered yourself for being here with us in this environment. And then she goes, have you ever thought that maybe we want to work with you even less than you want to work here? I remember feeling like super sick to my stomach because I had never even considered any of the things that she was saying. It caught me off guard. Like I didn't mean to be the way she was describing me and I didn't see myself that way. I had no idea that that's what I was projecting. And I wonder, what about you? What do you think you're like to work with? And I wonder how accurate your assumption is. Like, would your coworkers agree with what you think about your, your, your what the way you are to work with? Like, are, are you even aware of the, of the effect and the impact you have on the people that you work alongside? Like, are you someone that other people that work in that environment look forward to seeing every day and serving alongside and relying on? And, and also, like, how much does this really matter? Right, because maybe you're just like, I don't know if that's true of me, but like, here's the reality. Like, it's just a job. Like, who cares? It's just a thing I do to make money and it's not that big a deal and I don't need the people to like me and I don't need like it to be this great thing and I'm not trying to like change the world or anything. Like, I, I'm just trying to like get paid and go home and live my life. Like, how much does this stuff really matter? And there's this, this proverb about this subject that has always fascinated me. And today, I really just want to spend some time unpacking what it says, what I think it means, and, and what it has to do with this topic in, in our lives. And I'll just read it for you, and then we'll just spend some time sort of peeling it apart together. This is what it says. It's found in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10. And it says, When prosperity comes to those who do right, the whole city celebrates. But when the wicked get their just punishment, there is joyous cheering. Now, 
before I sort of discuss and dissect this proverb, I want to tell you just a couple things about Proverbs in, in general. Proverbs are essentially observations about how the world works, okay? So they're not prophecies. Uh, they are short summaries of human tendencies. So they're not telling us that like, if you do this, you're always gonna get this. They're saying like, based on observation of human behavior uh, over long periods of time, we can tell you that generally when this happens, this is soon to follow. This is just sort of how the world works. Um, I, I think it's, it, at least for me, it's helpful to think about these Proverbs in terms of someone reading them and before they actually say the statement to say before, statistically speaking, right? That's what goes before almost every proverb. Statistically speaking, this is what tends to happen when this happens. And so what is this author of this proverb telling us? And I think the first thing is that there are certain types of people that we, we want to see succeed, like, although all of us, we have jealous type tendencies at times, there are certain people that we, we want to see do well. They're the kinds of people that when we see their name on the schedule, we realize they're working today, we get excited because that means we get to hang with them. That when we get paired with them for a group project, we can't wait to get started because there's so much possibility when they get promoted, it's almost, we're almost as excited as if we got promoted because like we like who they are and what they bring to the table. Because when they're around and they're involved and they're in charge, things get better for everybody. There's this sense that they are helping things be the way they ought to be. But at the same time, there's this second part of the proverb and Proverbs usually have this compare and contrast component. It says that there are other kinds of people that when they get caught, when they get in trouble, when they get demoted or laid off or canceled, everyone's like, yes, finally. You ever had that sort of sinister thing that's welled up within you? You learn something about someone, you're like, well, what was that? They're packing all their stuff into a box right now and headed down to their car. Okay. All right, okay. Party! And everyone's excited, right? Like, you, 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 like there's this sense that, like, you know, it, this person is really only out for themselves. And so to see them come to their demise just fills everyone with this sense of gratitude, right? Because, you know, they tend to cut corners and they're negative. And when you're around them, you find yourself sort of holding your breath or clenching your teeth or biting your tongue because they seem to have this way of making things worse for everybody but themselves. And when you walk away with time with them, you feel smaller and sadder and more incompetent and insecure than you did before you interacted with them. And there's often this little part of you that's, that's always sort of asking, like, when is somebody gonna say something or do something? Because if we could just get them out of the way, everything would improve around here for everybody else. Now, obviously, when you look at these, they're, they're two very distinct extremes. But if you had to, which one would you say most resembles you right now? And would the people that you work with agree with your assessment? 
What about the people you work for? And like not, not even just your boss, but like your customers, your clients, your employees or students or constituents or whatever that thing is for you. I wonder if they would have anything to say about you when it comes to the work you do that would surprise you or embarrass you, or frustrate you, and not even necessarily because it's wrong, but because they seem to see you differently than you see you. And that discrepancy is jarring to you. And maybe you realize when digging through what they have to say that maybe who you've become at work is not really who you want to be. And I wonder, when it comes to you, if you have ever had this realization that I'm not sure who I've become at work is who I really want to be. I would say that I think most people who end up in this place who are are difficult um, or other people don't want to work with, I don't think they set out to be like this. I think the most people that we work with that we don't enjoy working with, I don't know that they actually, most of them set out to be like, you know what? I am going to make their lives a living hell yet again today. I can't wait to torture these people. Oh, it's just my favorite. Now, I'm sure some of them do, but I don't think most people do. In fact, I think like most people don't intend to do this. They may not even be aware that this thing is true about them, or maybe they're aware that it's true, but they don't know why it's true. They can sense the tension, but they're not really sure where it's coming from or where it's sourced. And maybe it can lead us to wonder, like, how can people see us so much differently than we see ourselves? And I think part of it is others' impression of you has little to do with what you intend to do and a lot to do with their experience of you. Like, in other words, like, you can mean really well, but other people are going to evaluate your work ethic based on how often they see you doing the right thing, which brings up a really important question. The right thing according to who? Who gets to decide what the right thing is? Because if people are evaluating us at work based on how often they experience us doing the right thing, right according to who is everything. Now, this this proverb in particular that we're dissecting In it, the word right means righteous or righteousness or rightness according to God. Sometimes this this word in Scripture is translated as justice. And when it's used, it's almost always in a communal context. It's, it's, It's almost always while commenting on how people with more treat, more power treat those with with less power. Now when most of us think of this idea of what is right and specifically when it comes to justice, we tend to think of my rights, right? What I deserve, what, like the way I want to be treated, like what I want from this experience. And because this is sort of our bent in life to always think about justice and rightness according to what is right for me, what I want um, what, what works for me, my preferences and opinions, that can lead us to all sorts of rationalizing when it comes to our work. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a place where you are rationalizing to yourself why it's okay for you to phone it in because you've got 
valid reasons. Like, I wonder if you ever said to yourself, like, listen, if they paid me more, I'd do a good job. Okay, but I cannot be expected to try when this is all they're paying me, okay, for this work. I mean, yes, did I sign a contract and agree to do this specific job for this amount of money? Yes, I did. But now that I'm doing it, it feels like too little for too high of expectations. And I want more, you know? And listen, I can't be expected to do a good job at this wage with this project. So listen, if you want me to try, you need to pay me more. If you want good work out of me, you're gonna have to pay me a better wage. And of course, your boss is probably going to say back to you, if you did a better job, I would pay you a better wage. And this is where we fight back and forth. I wonder if you've ever said to yourself, like, if I thought they respected me, I'd do what they asked of me. But they don't. And so I am not going to. I mean, like, they don't care about what I think. They don't care about my life. They don't care about what's going on with me. They don't care about what happens outside of here. They don't care about my feelings, like what I've went through, all the behind-the-scenes battles that I've had to fight. Like, they don't respect my opinion or my experience or my education. And so because of that, I shouldn't have to just, like, do what they want me to do. And if they respected me, if they treated me with a little more respect, maybe I would respect their requests a little bit more, but I'm not gonna do that with the way that I can tell how they see me here. I wonder if you've ever said anything to yourself like, if I liked the policy, I'd follow it. But I don't because it's stupid. Okay, this thing that they're asking of us is ridiculous, okay? It like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, if I were in charge, I would definitely not do it this way. It's inconvenient. It's frustrating. Okay. Like I I don't enjoy it at all. So I shouldn't have to do it. If it was something I'd liked, then I'd go along with it, but I, I don't like it. So I can't be expected to. Of course, the difficult thing here is like a lot of the things in my life that I've realized are really good for me. I don't often really like at first. And oftentimes the things that are really good for all of us, we don't automatically like at first. Maybe you said something to yourself like, if they operated with integrity, then I would too. But they have no integrity. I mean, have you researched this company? Have you watched what these managers do? Have you seen what some of these coworkers get away with? And so, yeah, I bend the rules too because I'm just doing what they do. Like if they live with integrity, if they operated in this way, like if they played by the rules then I would too. But because they're not, I'm not going to. This is just what you have to do to fit in this environment. I think a lot of us find ourselves making all sorts of excuses to just sort of slink along in our jobs. But here's the reality. A Christ follower's level of investment and integrity in any circumstance ought to be determined by the God in them over the people around them. Because that's how we define rightness or righteousness. But here's the other truth. Not everybody is going to define it this way. Some of you are like, I know some Christians that don't define it this way. Let alone people who would not consider themselves to be Christians. The reality is some people won't like you for doing what's right 
because they're entirely preoccupied with what's right for them. And if what's right for everybody is something that gets in the way of what they think is right for them, they will fight you tooth and nail. Because anytime anyone stands between them and what they want, they assume it's because that person is obviously evil. But this this is a short-sighted, self-focused worldview. And what I think is interesting about this proverb is that it doesn't tell us that every individual celebrates like when those who do right prosper. It tells us that the whole city celebrates. In other words, it's telling us that there may be dissenters. There may be people who oppose you, who are frustrated by you, who attack you or are jealous of you. But overall, over time, most people love seeing those who do right succeed. Why? Why is that? I think this brings us to the real definition of righteousness. According to scripture, righteousness is elevating what's good for us over what's good for me. And sometimes, in fact, what is good for us is not that good for me. And that's what makes living righteously difficult to do. But the righteous, even in these moments, are willing to set their own opinions and preferences aside for the sake of sacrificially serving the greater good. And what is wild to me is this idea is echoed all throughout Scripture. Listen to what God says to the first person he calls to follow him in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 1. God is calling this this guy named Abram, who becomes Abraham, who becomes Father Abraham, has many sons, and many sons has father. You guys know the song. He says this, leave what's comfortable and familiar to you and do what I'm asking of you. I will make you great. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Everyone around you will be blessed through you. Interesting, right? Now, this is not a proverb. This is a prophecy. This is God saying, like, not this is how this typically goes, but this is how it's going to go. Like, when you do what I ask you to do, which won't always be comfortable for you, I will bless you. And that blessing isn't just for you. It's to benefit everyone around you, not just the people you like and who are like you, but everyone And in fact, when people treat you poorly because you're attempting to do what's right for everyone, not just what's right for them in the moment, don't worry about it. I'm gonna handle that. Now, whenever God is like, I'm gonna handle that, I think it's just best to back off and be like, you take this one. Because the way God handles things is so much more efficient than the way that we would handle it. God is like, you stay focused on what I've invited you into and let me take care of the people who are fighting against you. There's this other passage in Jeremiah, it happens a little bit later, where the people of God who are blessed for generations and generations, they fall into um, captivity and they don't feel blessed at this moment. They feel beaten and bruised and beaten and berated and and. They hate where God has them at this moment. They want out. They look around and they're like, all the people around me are selfish and wicked 
And because of this, the Israelites' reaction were like, because I'm looking around and I don't want to be here and I don't like these people and I like this is not what I wanted for my life and this is not what I feel like is God's best for me, they have zero desire to show up and actually invest themselves in the work that's required day to day uh, to grow and care for their community. And they're begging God to pull them out to bring them somewhere else, to change their assignment. And this is what he says to them, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse five. He says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them and have grandchildren. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Wow. In other words, what he's telling these people is that even though the people around you aren't righteous, treat them righteously. And you do this by showing up and working hard and doing what you can to make your community better by serving the people in it to the best of your ability in all you do. Because this is God's idea of work. This is how we defined it on week one. And just so you know that we didn't change the definition on you. Work, right, is channeling your creativity, effort, and energy into helping humanity thrive and flourish. And I wonder if that's what you saw yourself doing when you went to work, how might it change the way you work? I wonder how how this might shift your thinking from going in with a defensive posture, saying to yourself, like, listen, I'm just going to do what's best for me. And it began to make you think about the environment as, I wonder what's best for us, even if that costs me. I wonder how working this way might change others' experience of you. Maybe you're thinking, like, well, I don't know. I mean, what I do is really small and insignificant, and monotonous, and mundane. I mean, it doesn't really matter, like, what I do or how well I do it. But according to Scripture, God disagrees with you. There's this verse that we've read in a previous week. It's, it's, it's in a letter, but one of the New Testament pastors writes, some of the early Christians, in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God. Verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord. And this is, this is the spiritual leader's way of saying that all work has significance. World-changing, community-shaping significance. And what I find fascinating about our culture is we find ourselves getting really wrapped up in the question of what am I going to do? What am I going to do for work? What am I going to do for a job? What am I going to do for a role or for a career? But in scripture, God's big concern isn't what are you going to do, but how are you going to do it? In other words, God's will for your work is more of a how than a what. And so what is the how that God wants us to pursue inside of our work? 
Um, there's another letter that is written to the early church by one of the first Christian pastors in the book of Philippians 4, verse 3. He tells us exactly how we should approach our work. This is what he says. Don't be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then this author goes on to say that when you do this, when you refuse the selfish impulses inside of you, when you decide that you are not at your job to try and impress other people, that you are willing to be humble, that you actually see the people around you as people that you are there to serve and love and care for and invest in. When you begin to look out for their interests, sometimes even over and above your own, that when you do this, you are sharing in the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And this is the big question I wanna pose to you today. Is this other's experience of you at work that you show up every day with the same attitude they'd expect from Jesus himself? Think about that for a second. Like when asked like, what, what are they like at work? Is the most likely response like, I gotta tell you, they're caring and considerate. They give their best regardless of what task they're given, like they throw themselves into it wholeheartedly. They actively look for opportunities to help and serve everyone around them. They're encouraging and uplifting. They're incredible collaborators. Before they do or decide anything, they consider how it might impact or affect everyone else. This is probably gonna sound weird, but like working with them is kind of like working with Jesus. Some of you are like, no, nah, nobody at work will say that. That probably is not what they're going to say. They're going to say some other things that don't have church-friendly words in it, but they wouldn't say a lot of that. But what would it look like to move yourself in this direction? None of us are exactly like Christ. We are imperfect people. But as we mature in a relationship with Jesus, the goal would be that we look more like Jesus in everything we do with every passing year. So how would we look more like Jesus on the job? And I wanna give you just three quick things that you can sort of grab hold of to sort of contextualize what this would look like. The first thing I would suggest is that you do little things like they're a big deal. Do little things like they're a big deal. Details matter. Like you can tell when you go to places and they care about not just the general thing that's going on, but the specific aspects of that thing that impact people. Like there's such an appreciation for people that take pride in the smallest parts of a job, that take it on, that take responsibility for it and pay attention to the details. Right? And this is really the big difference between like a lot of like cheap things and a lot of expensive, nice things, right? It's not just that they cost more money. It's that they're more attentive to the details. It's that the details matter. And you can bring this into the environment you're at. You get this impression with Jesus that he's always paying attention to the details and that he's giving his best to whatever's in front of him, no matter how big or small. This is what Jesus at work looks like. 
The second thing I would suggest is to learn about and invest in everyone you work alongside. A lot of times we can get in this mode at work where it's like, I'm just here to get stuff done. I just need to get stuff done. And the relationships sort of go on the back burner. And we don't, we stop seeing the people around us as people. We start seeing them as like either tools to accomplish our work or obstacles in the path of us getting our to-do list done. This is sort of a natural thing. And the more pressure that's put on us to make things happen, the more we can sort of like push aside any relational human connection and just sort of forge ahead and try and do the thing. But when you take the time to actually learn about the people that you work alongside, what's really going on with them? Why is it that they're late? What stress are they carrying in their everyday life? Why does this particular policy frustrate them so much? Like, what goals and dreams do they have outside of this place? Like, when we begin to understand who people really are and we go the extra mile to invest in them as individuals, it changes the work relationship. It changes the way we work and the way they work, and it changes the quality of our work together. And the third thing I would suggest is find ways to add value without spending money. And all the bosses in here said, amen. Like, I always tell my team, you know, if the only way you know how to solve a problem is to spend more money and hire more staff, you are not very creative. Because that's the first answer everybody has. And sometimes those things are necessary. We need to do them. But like, the reality of it is, a lot of times we allow the things that we can't do or can't afford to do or don't have resources to do prevent us from doing what we can do, but don't want to do or don't want to expend the energy to do. There are a lot of ways we can add value in the environments that we find ourselves in that don't cost anything. And I'll tell you, people that, that do these things, that lean into these things, not only are they reflecting the work ethic of Jesus, the work ethic we find in scripture, but like people who do these things consistently seldom get fired because these are the things that people are looking for. People that play this way at work tend to be cheered on by the people around them. But what really makes this a Jesus work ethic is when we determine to do all of this regardless of what anyone else does. That's righteousness. And Proverbs tells us, when you make the work you do about what's best for us over what's best for you, that just showing up for your shift can cause your whole city to celebrate. Think about that for a minute. And I think this ought to be our goal as Christians because the reality of it is people may not believe what we believe, but they ought to be glad we're on the job. I think the, that the reputations of Christians at work ought to be that they're the most honest, devoted, caring, competent, collaborative, teachable, reliable workers that anyone knows. That everything and everyone they touch gets better because they put others' interests above their own, just like Jesus. Imagine if this is what our community, this was their impression of the Christians they knew. That their thought was, 
I mean, I don't know if I would want to be a Christian. I think they believe some crazy things. But if you are ever lucky enough to hire one, do it. Best decision you could ever make because they will make everything better. It's like working with Jesus. The word that's translated in this proverb as celebrate is this Hebrew term that's only used one other time in the Old Testament. And it's a reference to the rejoicing, the relief, and the excitement people feel when they've been freed from oppression. When, when they have this rising sense deep in their bones that things are finally gonna get better. And I think that this is the way our communities ought to feel when we show up to work. That there ought to be this sense of celebration of like, oh man, I'm so glad they work here. I'm so glad I get to be on their team. I'm so glad they're bringing their creativity and their energy to this project I'm so glad I'm fortunate enough to get to serve shoulder to shoulder with them. I'm so glad. Like, I, there's something about it that makes me just want to cheer and celebrate. Like, all the jealousy within me dies out because the more you look and study this person, the more you realize they are not in it for them. They're in it for us. So that means the higher they go and the more they prosper and the more they're promoted, the more everything gets better for all of us because that's the heart of God. I wonder if the people around you get this sense deep in their bones, the sense of relief when you show up because in their heart, despite what is going on around them, the policies that exist, the unrealistic expectations, they look at you and they think, if they're working on this, things are gonna get better. Imagine if everyone who called South Hills home had this impact on their workplace. It would transform our community. And not only would it transform our community, but when people show up to work and work hard and give their all and make everything and everyone around them better, the very next question you have is, what is your deal? What is it that you believe? Why are you like this? Our belief that God is a creator who gives his best work to help us flourish. That belief ought to drive us to give our best to help everyone around us flourish. And maybe where you're at in your job right now, people don't get it. People oppose you. People are annoyed by you. And you're like, I'm trying so hard to do the right thing. I gotta tell you, there's gonna be some descenders. But if you keep pursuing a Christ-centered work ethic, there will come a time in which your community celebrates that you were there because they needed you and the world was changed for the better because of you.
Would you bow your heads across this room with me this morning? I want to just pray this into your life today. God, uh, we are all in different places with work. Um, some of us have like our dream jobs. Some of us, we have a job that, man, it's just like a go-between job. It's like a, it's a placeholder, something that we never wanted to do, never thought we would do, never thought we would be doing this long. Some of us are, are out of work. We don't have a job, but all of us have been given something to do in this moment to invest ourselves in some sort of work and some of it's paid and some of it's not. But our work is always to invest ourselves into the thriving and flourishing of the people around us. And God, I pray that you would help us to see whatever work we've been presented with as something that is truly transformational as a partnership with you to better the world. And God, when we receive people that like attack us and condescend us, push against us, God, may we stay focused on what you have invited us to do and allow you to take care of that. And God, I pray that as you bless us, that we would see ourselves as called to be a blessing to everyone around us. God, that because we show up to work and sacrifice ourselves, doing not just what's good for me, but what's good for us, may our communities celebrate that they were fortunate enough to have you send us to them to make their lives better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.